Bruce Waltke's interpretation of the flood narrative in Genesis presents it as a profound exploration of the human condition, juxtaposing humanity's deepest fears against its most fervent hopes through the lens of divine action. At its core, the narrative confronts human arrogance with the overwhelming power of God, manifested through catastrophic natural events. These disasters evoke a profound sense of fear, serving as reminders of divine judgment, while simultaneously kindling hope for a reformed world, cleansed of historical injustices and prejudices. The flood is not merely a tale of destruction, but a complex contemplation of divine character and human behavior, intricately woven around the concept of the covenant. This covenant represents a solemn commitment between God and humanity, starting with a conditional pact that protects Noah and the earth during the flood. Following this ordeal, an unconditional covenant is established, ensuring the earth's continuity until the world's end. Waltke emphasizes the stark contrast between humanity's state pre- and post-flood. Initially, the narrative accentuates humanity's pervasive sin, which incites God's wrath and leads to widespread destruction. However, the focus shifts to God's attributes, His grace, mercy, patience, and unwavering commitment to His covenant. Noah emerges as a pivotal figure in this transition, his righteousness and his sacrifice echoing the future sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Through Noah, a new covenant is forged, symbolizing not just the survival of the earth, but its salvation and the hope for a renewed creation, free from the shackles of its past transgressions. The flood narrative, therefore, is not just a recount of divine wrath, but a testament to divine love and the enduring hope for redemption and renewal inherent in the human spirit. Also, Waltke explores the intricate relationship between God's divine attributes and human behavior. Waltke portrays God as profoundly engaged with his creation, attributing genuine emotions like regret and pleasure to God in response to human actions, thereby affirming his personal nature and sovereignty. Waltke's discussion centers around the delicate balance between divine providence and human responsibility. He illustrates that while God allows the authenticity of human choices and the resulting consequences of sin, he simultaneously intervenes to limit the repercussions of sin and guide humanity towards redemption. This is evident in instances such as God's protection of the Garden of Eden and the preservation of Noah and his family during the flood. Central to Waltke's discourse is the concept of grace, particularly asserted in the narrative of Noah, who found favor with God. This grace is not a result of human merit but a manifestation of God's sovereign choice, highlighting the theological principle of total human depravity and the necessity of divine intervention for righteousness. Moreover, Waltke articulates the dual aspects of God's nature as both just and merciful. He portrays God's response to human sinfulness as a blend of patience and justice, allowing time for repentance and ultimately executing judgment. The divergent experiences of biblical figures such as Abel, Enoch, and Noah illustrate the varied outcomes of faith, yet all affirm that faith is pleasing to God. Furthermore, Waltke indicates the significance of individual responsibility and choices within God's redemptive plan. The narrative of Noah exemplifies how the righteousness of one can invoke God's covenant loyalty and result in the preservation of creation. This principle maintains the profound impact of individual actions in the divine scheme, pointing out the essential role of human cooperation with God's sovereign grace in the broader context of salvation history.
God's interactions with humanity demonstrate his supreme ability to harmonize divine sovereignty with human responsibility, ensuring that his omnipotence complements his inherent goodness and justice. In addition, Waltke's exposition on God's covenant unfolds in two pivotal themes, the intrinsic nature of covenants and the profound contrast between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Covenants, as Waltke describes, are not mere agreements but solemn commitments, a divine undertaking of obligations. This is particularly poignant in the context of divine covenants, where God is the initiator, committing himself to bless his chosen ones. This blessing, however, is not without conditions. It necessitates the recipient's faith in God and a life of obedience to his statutes. The narrative then shifts to a nuanced analysis of two specific covenants, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. The covenant of works is showcased in the primordial relationship between God and Adam. Here, God's blessings are contingent upon Adam's adherence to a specific command, not to eat from the forbidden tree. Adam's failure to obey not only leads to the forfeiture of life, but also marks the collapse of this covenant, rendering it obsolete in the post-Lepsarian, post-fall world. In stark contrast stands the covenant of grace, a divine provision that transcends human frailty and disobedience. Unlike the covenant of works, which was predicated on human performance, the covenant of grace is anchored in the redemptive act of Jesus Christ, the second Adam. It's a covenant that's not earned but given, reiterating the boundless nature of God's grace. Christ's life, death, and resurrection form the bedrock of this covenant, offering salvation and life, independent of human merit. This grace-filled covenant, while not explicitly named, is a pervasive theme in the biblical narrative, particularly resonant in texts like Romans 3, showcasing God's relentless pursuit to redeem and restore humanity through His sovereign grace. Further, Waltke provides an insightful analysis of Israel's historic covenants, interpreting them as progressive revelations of God's covenant of grace throughout the history of redemption. These covenants represent distinct eras in divine governance, transitioning through stages governed by conscience, law, and spirit. The covenant narrative begins with God's promise in Genesis 3.15, establishing a foundational covenant of grace aimed at defeating humanity's archenemy through a chosen lineage. This theme of divine grace and promise extends to the Noahic covenant, designed to preserve the earth for the benefit of all humanity. The Abrahamic covenant advances this narrative of grace, with God pledging to bestow an eternal lineage and land to the patriarchs, thereby positioning them to extend blessings to all nations. The Mosaic Covenant forged at Sinai further cements Israel's bond with God. It calls upon the nation to adhere to divine teachings, guiding them towards their predestined role as a priestly kingdom. The Davidic Covenant ensures the perpetual reign of David's lineage over God's kingdom, illustrating the continuity and fidelity of divine promises. The New Covenant is a culmination and open proclamation of the Covenant of Grace, tying together the historic covenants and signaling the climax of salvation history in the second advent of Jesus Christ. While each covenant inaugurates a new epoch in the administration of God's kingdom, they are unified by the overarching covenant of grace. The elect, or the Israel of God, are consistently portrayed as the enduring beneficiaries of these covenants. Unified in their faith, they trust in the God of Israel to fulfill His promises, securing them as heirs to the profound blessings embedded within the historic covenants. This intricate tapestry of covenants demonstrates the depth and continuity of God's redemptive plan throughout biblical history. Besides, 
Waltke's analysis of biblical covenants presents a sophisticated understanding of the dynamics between divine grace and human responsibility. He categorizes these covenants into four distinct types, each showcasing a different aspect of the divine-human relationship. The first type involves conditional covenants with Adam before the fall and with Israel through Moses. These covenants hinge on human adherence to divine stipulations, yet they ultimately fail due to human reliance on self rather than on God's grace. Despite this failure, the Mosaic Covenant sanctifies the faithful, turning them into a beacon for the nations. In stark contrast, the second type, including the post-fall covenant with Adam and the new covenant initiated by Christ, is characterized by its unconditional nature. These covenants are undergirded by divine grace, promising an internal transformation of the heart. This transformation is superior to previous covenants, as it's mediated by Christ's sacrifice, offering a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. The Noahic covenant, initially conditional based on Noah's righteousness and his walking with God, transitions to a universally unconditional promise. This covenant not only repeats Noah's exemplary faith and ethical stance, but also God's commitment to humanity's continuity, albeit with an acknowledgement of human sinfulness. Additionally, the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants, while fundamentally unconditional, also function as divine rewards for faithfulness. These covenants promise extensive blessings, including land, progeny, and dominion. However, the complete realization of these blessings is contingent upon the descendants' faith and their adherence to God's laws, as seen in the requirement for circumcision and righteousness in the Abrahamic covenant and the call for obedience in the Davidic kingship. Through these covenantal frameworks, Waltke illustrates the intricate balance and interplay between divine providence and human agency, pointing to a divine narrative that pivots from human failure to divine redemption, culminating in the transformative power of the new covenant. Also, Waltke, in his exposition of the flood narrative within the broader framework of redemption history, underlines the narrative's function as a divine assurance. He articulates that despite the catastrophic nature of the flood, it serves to confirm God's unwavering commitment to the drama of human salvation. The narrative establishes that the earth, despite human sinfulness, will be preserved until its divinely ordained consummation by fire, leading to the emergence of a new cosmos. This divine commitment is encapsulated in the concept of common grace, where God's benevolence extends indiscriminately to all of creation, maintaining the world for the benefit of both the just and the unjust. Waltke juxtaposes the biblical flood narrative with three Mesopotamian myths, underscoring both the resemblances and profound divergences. While the myths share common elements such as the construction of a boat and the sending of birds post-flood, the biblical narrative distinguishes itself in its theological depth and wisdom. Notably, it pivots on the covenant concept, portraying the flood not as a capricious act of divine retribution, but as a measured response to human wickedness with Noah's righteousness, pivotal in securing divine favor. This distinction emphasizes a fundamental theological tenet, the primacy of divine wisdom and the imperative of human obedience and trust. Moreover, Waltke addresses contemporary fears about the earth's destruction, dismissing them as incongruent with the biblical assurance of the earth's endurance until Christ's return. He accentuates the post-flood shift in human-animal relations, affirming a divinely ordained dominion and a respect for life. Referencing Warren Gage's analysis, 
Waltke points to the structural parallels between the antediluvian and post-diluvian worlds, suggesting a divine orchestration of history. These parallels in creation, fall, and judgment narratives serve to reinforce the theme of divine consistency in judgment and redemption, culminating in a future cosmic renewal and the establishment of a righteous dwelling for humanity. This narrative structure affirms God's sovereign control over history and his unwavering commitment to the ultimate redemption of his creation. Furthermore, Waltke delves into the theological symmetries between the original creation narrative and the post-Diluvian recreation in Genesis, drawing extended parallels to the establishment of Israel and the Church. He meticulously analyzes the scriptural text, asserting the transformation from chaos to order through divine intervention in both the antediluvian and post-diluvian worlds. In this framework, the wind, or Spirit of God, emerges as a central, life-giving force, transforming the formless void into a structured, inhabited world. Waltke identifies a mirrored sequence in the events of creation and recreation. The process begins with a formless, chaotic deep over which the Spirit of God moves. This is followed by the differentiation of elements, the separation of waters and sky, and the eventual emergence of dry land, vegetation, and fauna. He further observes that this pattern is not merely a repetition, but a deliberate reflection of the original creation, signifying a divine template for order and life. The narrative extends beyond the physical restructuring of the world, incorporating significant theological motifs. Waltke notes the recurrence of themes such as divine commissioning, human stewardship, and the consequences of human actions. The parallels between Adam and Noah are particularly pronounced. Both are created in the image of God, given specific commandments, and their actions result in blessings or curses for their descendants. In his exposition, Waltke highlights the redemptive nature of creation and recreation. He interprets these acts as God's commitment to preserve the world and fulfill his purpose for humanity to exert dominion over it. The recreation after the flood is not merely a restoration, but carries the unmistakable mark of the Creator, symbolizing continuity and the fulfillment of divine intention. This insightful analysis portrays a God deeply invested in the world, guiding it from primeval chaos to a cosmos reflecting his glory and order. In addition, Waltke interprets the formation of Israel as a nation through the lens of new creation, indicating the pivotal roles of ruah, wind or spirit, and water. This theme is vividly portrayed in the Exodus story where Moses, under divine command, parts the Red Sea. This miraculous act echoes the Genesis account of creation, where God's spirit, ruah, moves over the waters, transforming chaos into ordered existence, paralleling the emergence of Israel as God's chosen people. The term ruah, with its dual meaning, enriches the narrative, allowing for multifaceted interpretations. Isaiah, for instance, reinterprets the parting of the Red Sea, viewing the east wind as the Holy Spirit that empowers Moses, elevating the event from a mere physical miracle to a spiritually significant act. Scholar Meredith Klein extends this analogy, drawing parallels between the cosmic creation and the formation of Israel. Notable similarities include the division of waters during the Exodus and the creation narrative, the guiding pillar of fire and the creation of light, and the protective presence of God. These parallels maintain the idea of the Exodus as a divine act of creation and salvation. Klein also points out the connection between God's nurturing presence during creation, symbolized by his spirit hovering over the waters, and his protective guidance of Israel through the wilderness.
The journey to the promised land is portrayed as a redemptive act that mirrors the rest and peace of the Sabbath, symbolizing a return to the divine order established at creation. Thus, Israel's prophets and poets merge the themes of redemption and creation, often adopting imagery from ancient Near Eastern myths. These myths typically depict a deity overcoming chaotic waters or a monstrous entity, symbolizing the triumph of order and creation. Waltke's interpretation not only situates the biblical narrative within this broader mythological context, but also reiterates the distinctiveness of the biblical portrayal of creation and redemption. Besides, Waltke articulates the theme of new creation, weaving through the narrative of the Bible, and finding its profound fulfillment in the New Testament through the establishment of the Church and the prophetic promise of a new heaven and new earth. He reiterates the transformation from the Old Testament's imagery of wind to the New Testament's spirit, especially focusing on the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. This transition is vividly depicted during Pentecost, where the nascent Church experiences a powerful infilling of the Holy Spirit, reminiscent of a mighty wind, signifying a divine act of new creation, Acts 2-2-4. Further deepening this theme, Waltke draws a compelling parallel between the Old Testament's cataclysmic flood, a divine instrument for judgment and purification, and the New Testament ritual of baptism. He interprets the flood as a typology for Christian baptism, where the believer, immersed in water, emerges not just cleansed but reborn, a new creation invigorated by the Holy Spirit. This baptismal rebirth symbolically erases the corrupted past, echoing the flood's cleansing of the world's corruption, and aligns with the Pauline metaphor where God's light shining out of darkness illuminates hearts with the knowledge of His glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 Additionally, Waltke addresses the eschatological dimension of the new creation theme. He points to the vivid descriptions in 2 Peter 3, 1 13 and Revelation 21 22 where the new creation reaches its climactic fulfillment. This is not just a renewal of the individual or the church, but a cosmic renewal, a divine act where the old heavens and earth pass away, and God's people inherit a profoundly transformed world, free from the former things, and basking in the fullness of God's glory and presence. This holistic view of new creation encapsulates both the immediate transformative work of the Holy Spirit and the ultimate promise of a fully renewed creation. Also, Waltke's exposition on the New Adam concept elucidates the parallel lives and roles of Noah and Adam, presenting a theological continuity in the aftermath of the Flood, which is seen as a recreation event. In this narrative, both figures are intimately linked with the image of God, a significant term uniquely present in their respective stories in Genesis. This divine image serves dual functions, it establishes human identity in Adam's story and acts as a protective shield in Noah's narrative. The parallel extends to the divine blessings bestowed upon Adam and Noah, where both are commanded to be fruitful and multiply, a mandate that encompasses not just procreation but also the authority over creation. This authority is demonstrated differently yet significantly by each. Adam exerts his dominion by naming the animals, symbolizing knowledge and stewardship, while Noah preserves life through the ark indicating responsibility and salvation. Their relationship with the divine is repeated by the notion of walking with God, a phrase that signifies not just physical proximity, but a deeper moral and spiritual alignment with God's will. Post-flood, the role of humanity in creation undergoes a nuanced shift. 
human dominion is more explicitly defined, entailing governance and the upholding of justice. This is symbolized by the sword given to humans to execute justice and the instilling of fear in animals towards humans. However, this power is balanced with responsibility, as seen in the prohibition against consuming lifeblood, underlining a respect for the sanctity of life. Waltke's analysis brings to light the enduring theme of humanity as God's vice-regents, tasked with the stewardship of creation. This role, marked by authority, responsibility, and a close relationship with the divine, remains constant despite the changing dynamics post-flood, reflecting God's steadfast intention for humanity and the sacredness of life in the biblical narrative. Moreover, Waltke views Israel's story through a theological lens that aligns the nation with the biblical figure of Adam, suggesting a continuity in God's redemptive plan for humanity. He equates the blessings bestowed upon Israel by God, referred to reverentially as I Am, with those given to Adam in the book of Genesis, as well as those given to Noah after the flood. Israel's subsequent increase in numbers is seen as evidence of this blessing, leading to a situation where their population boom causes alarm in their host nation, Egypt. Drawing parallels with the Old Testament narrative, Waltke sees the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and safe passage through the Red Sea as a baptismal event, analogous to Noah's Ark surviving the flood. This event symbolizes a new beginning, a fresh start akin to what Adam experienced at creation and what humanity experienced post-flood. In this act of deliverance, the corrupt influences represented by Egypt and metaphorically referred to as the seed of the serpent are left behind, much like the floodwaters destroyed the corrupt world in Noah's time. Israel's journey through the wilderness to Mount Zion is interpreted as both a literal and spiritual ascent to a place of divine purpose, where they can resume the role initially assigned to Adam, to exercise dominion and stewardship over the earth. This is celebrated in the Song of the Sea, and in the various psalms recited at the temple atop Mount Zion. Furthermore, the view encompasses the specific details of God's rule as outlined in the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants. Through Abraham it is stipulated that other nations' fortunes are intrinsically linked to their relationship with Abraham's progeny. The Davidic covenant then takes a more particular focus with the promise that Israel's governance extending over other nations will be upheld through David's lineage a concept celebrated and anticipated in royal and messianic psalms. In essence, Waltke's analysis reinterprets Israel's experience as a fulfillment of the calling first placed upon Adam, framing their historical and covenantal milestones as stages in the unfolding of God's overarching plan for humanity, where Israel takes up the mantle as God's appointed agent in the world. In addition, Waltke's exposition on Jesus as the new Adam underscores that the biblical roles given to the first humans find their consummate expression in Jesus Christ. According to the narrative of Scripture, Adam and Noah were originally tasked with filling and managing the earth, a mandate accompanied by God's blessing and empowerment. Waltke argues that Jesus, as the second Adam and the perfect reflection of God, noted in 2 Corinthians as the true image of God, actualizes this purpose in his person and mission. Following his resurrection, Jesus empowers his followers with the Holy Spirit, reminiscent of God's initial act of instilling life into Adam. This divine empowerment is illustrated in the Gospel of John, where Christ bestows upon his disciples the authority to forgive sins. Further, Matthew's Gospel communicates this transfer of divine authority, depicting Jesus instructing his disciples to extend the faith to all nations through baptism and teaching.
Similarly, Luke's Gospel concludes with a dramatic ascent of Jesus from the Mount of Olives, where he leaves his disciples with a blessing, analogous to and culminating his earthly deeds of blessings and miracles. Signifying continuity with and fulfillment of Old Testament promises, Christ's pouring out of his Spirit is seen as cultivating life from death, aligning with the hope found in Isaiah that envisions a redeemed and everlasting people. The theme of authority and dominion finds theological climax in the eschatological hope that Christ will fully subordinate all to himself, as depicted in Ephesians and Colossians. Waltke emphasizes the transformative nature of the resurrection in which humanity, once identified with the frailty of the first Adam, will bear the glorified image of the heavenly Adam described by Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians. Ultimately, Waltke's vision interprets the narrative arc of the Bible as moving towards the eschaton, a time when the redeemed, characterized by meekness and resurrected in the likeness of Christ, will co-reign with him over a restored creation, fulfilling the covenant promise of shared inheritance articulated in Romans. Christ as the new Adam thus signifies both the restoration to original intent and the inauguration of an eternal kingdom where divine and human purposes are fully realized. Besides, Waltke's analysis of sin commences with examining the pivotal biblical figures of Adam and Noah, who, through their actions, introduced the concept of sin's devastating effects on human consciousness and relationships. Adam's disobedience, marked by eating from the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden, brought upon him and Eve the awareness of their nakedness, leading to fear and alienation from God. Similarly, Noah's transgression, involving overindulgence in wine from his vineyard, resulted in a humiliating exposure of nakedness and a strained paternal relationship, specifically the cursing of his son Canaan. Both accounts illustrate sin as not only a personal moral failure but also as an agent of division and estrangement, accentuating the gracious intervention required to cover and redress the ensuing shame, figuratively and literally. Expanding on this theme, Waltke contemplates humanity's broader struggle with sin manifesting in deep-rooted hatred, prejudice, and greed, and its culmination in systemic cruelty and conflict. He suggests our nature and past not only predispose us to such sins, but also entrap us in a cycle from which there can be no escape by mere historical amnesia or societal reset. It is within this vein that Waltke interprets the biblical narrative of Noah, debunking any notion of human ability to eradicate sin by starting history afresh. The sin of the Israelites punctuates Waltke's examination of sin, affirming their immediate rebellion against God post-Exodus. Despite divine provision and miracles, they grumble, and in a stark defiance of their vow at Sinai, engage in idolatry. It is only by divine grace through Moses' mediation that Israel avoids destruction. Waltke culminates his discourse by contrasting the flawed figures of Adam, Noah, and Israel with Jesus Christ, the second Adam. Christ embodies the antithesis of sin, affecting salvation for those who trust in him. Through Jesus, God's original purpose for humanity is realized, establishing his kingdom on earth and giving coherence to the entirety of human history. Waltke asserts that the ultimate defeat of the serpent, representing evil, will be accomplished through Christ and his followers, heralding the ultimate victory over sin and redemption of mankind. Additionally, Waltke explores the theme of division within humanity between the elect who follow God and the non-elect who reject him, and traces this motif from the book of Genesis through the New Testament. Beginning with the repercussions of Adam and Noah's sins, Waltke highlights the curses that befall certain descendants, illustrating a division of humanity.
Cain's lineage, emanating from Adam, becomes a symbol of the non-elect, those who do not receive God's grace and hence align with the serpent's wickedness. In contrast, the elect are represented by the line of Seth, who embody the promises of God and the hope of redemption. Similarly, Noah's descendants diverge, with Canaan's line embodying rebellion and Shem's line representing the faithfulness to God's covenant. This divergent motif of the seed is prominent within the story of Israel. The conflict between faithful and unfaithful is exemplified by Cain and Abel, both of whom outwardly practice worship but harbor different allegiances. As Israel forms into a nation, this internal discord remains, splitting the people into loyal followers of God and those succumbing to apostasy. Despite this, God's commitment to his covenant is unwavering, and he maintains a remnant, epitomized by the prophets, who remain true to his precepts, guaranteeing the preservation of the holy seed as rightful heirs to Abraham's promise. In the New Testament, the seed conflict persists but evolves. It not only distinguishes between the secular pursuits of society and the spiritual endeavor of the church, but also manifests within the church itself. True believers are differentiated from those who superficially claim faith, yet do not withstand the trials of true discipleship, akin to the seeds sown on rocky ground. The church, therefore, must be vigilant, discerning the authenticity of faith amid the reality of false teachings and teachers. This condition necessitates an ongoing battle, echoed through New Testament exhortations, to remain steadfast and cultivate a community aligned with God's ultimate plan. Also, Waltke's discussion on judgment and salvation in biblical narratives uses the stories of Adam and Noah to uncover a paradigm of divine intervention that indicates both aspects of God's justice, judgment, and salvation. This paradigm emerges from the Genesis account, where the first cosmos story culminates in cataclysmic judgment with the flood. Gage's interpretation, as maintained by Waltke, suggests that this account sets a precedent. It signals that future episodes of widespread moral decay will likewise incur the divine providence of judgment, creating an anticipatory pattern for further historical events aligned with biblical prophecy. What is critical to this pattern, Waltke stresses, is the intrinsic balance between destruction and deliverance. Contrary to viewing the flood as merely a narrative of desolation, it must be understood as a focused instance of God delivering salvation. The flood, therefore, is not just an act of wiping out humanity, but also serves as a vessel for God's saving grace, protecting and preserving those deemed righteous. This dual concept of judgment and salvation witnessed in the flood story is not isolated but extends as a blueprint across the scriptures, resonating within the broader canon of both the Old and New Testaments. It is through this lens that one is beckoned to interpret subsequent divine judgments as inherently containing the potential for redemption. Waltke then transitions to the nature of justice within this paradigm, where the Bible firmly characterizes justice in terms of retribution rather than rehabilitating transgressors. Invoking C.S. Lewis to amplify this point, he points out the objection to a justice system oriented towards the rehabilitation of a criminal at the expense of what is deserved. Lewis fundamentally views this shift as an ideological move away from addressing an individual as a being possessed of intrinsic rights subject to justice, to treating the individual as an object, a case or patient, to be cured, hence removing them entirely from the domain where justice operates. Ultimately, Waltke's reflection on judgment and salvation presents a theologically rich and complex framework.
It not only encapsulates the nature of divine justice, comprising both retributive justice and salvific hope, but also critically examines the moral implications of how justice is defined and applied within this scriptural context. Moreover, Waltke, synthesizing the work of Gage, dives into a pattern found in biblical accounts where God's judgment on humanity parallels the narrative of Noah. Gage identifies three recurring motifs in these accounts. The prevalence of universal wickedness, invoking comparisons to the days of Noah, a sweeping judgment akin to a flood that matches the scale of corruption, and the sparing of a righteous remnant amidst the wider destruction. Waltke reiterates Gage's dissection of biblical instances, drawing parallels to Noah's story. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah by divine fire mirrors the flood in Noah's tale with Lot's family echoing Noah's ark narrative of salvation. Lot's home, secured by heavenly intervention, parallels the shutting of the ark's door, offering refuge from judgment. When recounting the plagues upon Egypt, the comparison is made to Moses preserved by an ark, a basket as an infant. Later, the Israelites' marked doorways during Passover reflect the protective seal of Noah's ark, allowing those within to escape the angel of death, similar to the deliverance from the flood. The destruction decreed upon Canaan, described by the Hebrew term harem, demanding the extermination of all life, mirrors the devastation of the deluge. Yet Rahab and her family are saved, as Noah's household was spared, repeating the theme of a preserved lineage amidst universal judgment. In the plight of Jerusalem, Prophetic writings liken the invasions of Assyrians and Babylonians to an overwhelming flood. Jack P. Lewis's analogy of the flood in Isaiah is cited to demonstrate that even in such severe judgment, God's mercy is evidenced through the survival of a remnant, akin to the mercy shown to Noah and his family. Waltke concludes by noting Gage's invocation of the call for the righteous to seek shelter until God enacts a new exodus and brings the remnants back to the holy mountain. This imagery affirms the continuity of God's faithfulness and His covenant promises as seen through the cycles of judgment and restoration. It's a thematic reminder of hope and divine fidelity even through episodes of punitive cleansing. Furthermore, in the New Testament, the allegory of the flood from the Old Testament is reinterpreted and connected with the destruction of Jerusalem and the Second Temple in AD 70, as well as with the concept of the final judgment during Christ's anticipated Second Coming. Notably, William Gage underlines that Jesus likens the unforeseen nature of his return to the times of Noah and Lot, where everyday life continued up until the moment of catastrophe. Matthew 24, 37-39, Luke 17, 28-32. Adding to this, Daniel's prophecy uses the imagery of a flood to describe the catastrophic end of Jerusalem. Daniel 9, 26. Jesus' teaching on the setup of the abominable desolation serves as a warning for those in Judea to seek refuge, much like Lot's escape from Sodom, Matthew 24, 15, 20 compared with Genesis 19:17. The New Testament further expands the imagery of judgment as Christ is depicted returning in fiery vengeance alongside his angels to deal retribution to the oppressive descendants of the serpent, leading to their eternal destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, 10. This apocalyptic vision culminates with the purging of the present cosmos in fire, 2 Peter 3, 10, 12, and ultimately the salvation of the righteous, who are promised abode in a renewed creation, a new heaven and new earth, 2 Peter 3, 13. Often individuals shy away from contemplating such cataclysmic eschatology. The cultural preference is to focus on notions of recreation and regeneration as symbols of God's grace, 
with faith placed in human initiatives like education and poverty alleviation to improve society. Yet the biblical cycle of creation, transgression, conflict, and divine arbitration starkly underscores human inability to form or maintain a just society on their own. Biblically, the root issue is understood as inherent within human nature, and so merely starting afresh is inadequate to resolve the failings of society. The solution transcends physical restitution. It requires spiritual rebirth. The flood narrative in Genesis is symbolic of cleansing. However, only half the remedy is addressed through water. The needed complement is the transformative power of Jesus Christ and the influence of the Holy Spirit, which together provide a means to change human nature and alter the trajectory of human destiny for the better. The story of the flood with its creational echoes, featuring terms like of every kind found in Genesis 6.20, is more than a tale of destruction. It presents an archetype of recreation, signifying the reformation and rebirth of the earth in alignment with the coming dominion of God. In addition, Waltke's discourse on ethics and ecology integrates a theological perspective with environmental responsibility. He stresses that while Christians anticipate Christ's return, and not a cataclysmic environmental disaster, there remains a divine imperative to manage Earth's resources carefully. This stewardship is not optional. It is a moral obligation tied to ultimate divine judgment, as the treatment of Earth and its creatures reflects one's righteousness or wickedness. Waltke views the exploitation of nature by the unethical as a moral failing, a corruption of the Earth. The contemporary manifestations of such corruption include the emission of pollutants into the atmosphere, the spread of garbage and toxins across the land and oceans, and the aggressive depletion of natural resources through practices like strip mining and deforestation. This destructive behavior threatens biodiversity and disrupts the balance of ecosystems, a concern for Waltke, who critiques this attitude as short-sighted greed with serious long-term consequences for all of creation. Drawing on the narrative of Noah, Waltke represents the Ark as an ideal microcosm that illustrates the proper hierarchy in the relationship between God, humans, and the rest of creation. Noah's care for the animals on the Ark, and his gentle interaction with a dove, provides a visual and moral template for humanity's role as caretakers. The text's frozen mental image serves to emphasize the peace and order that should characterize human interaction with the natural world. Affirming the value of all creatures, Waltke accentuates that humans hold dominion over life, possessing both the power and the responsibility to ensure the survival of every species. The repetition of phrases like, every living creature in the biblical text, underpins this ethical call to preservation. Waltke implores that if God is committed to the existence of all species, humans too must deeply respect this commitment. Further, Waltke champions the righteous as those who preserve creation and restrain their appetites, positioning them as advocates for ecological justice. They understand the necessity of using Earth's resources. For instance, Noah needed lumber to build the ark, but contend for sustainable utilization and management of those resources. They stand against environmental abuse, not wholly opposing the use of natural resources, but advocating for a respectful and balanced approach in line with Noah's conservationism. Besides, Waltke examines the tension between the biblical injunctions against taking human life and the prescribed death penalty for murder. He debates for a nuanced understanding where the prohibition of killing is specifically directed against the taking of innocent life. 
The Old Testament delineates distinctions between willful murder, which is punishable by death, and accidental manslaughter, where the offender is sent to a city of refuge instead of facing execution. Waldke cites Lex Talionis as a principle that supports the need for proportionate justice, as illustrated in the Old Testament, particularly in the Book of Numbers. The New Testament develops the theme of divine justice further. Paul's epistles instruct Christians to renounce personal revenge and to trust in God's judgment, which is executed through state authorities endowed with the power to punish, and by extension to carry out capital punishment for grave offenses, Romans 12 19, 13, 4. Capital punishment, according to Waltke, is not merely permissible, but divinely mandated as a principle of justice where accountability for the shedding of innocent blood is required. This extends beyond individual punishment to a collective responsibility, where failure to enact justice can lead to divine judgment upon the entire community. Additionally, Waltke digs into the protections provided by the biblical legal system to prevent miscarriages of justice. Deuteronomy requires the collaboration of multiple witnesses to establish guilt, with severe repercussions for perjury. Despite the seeming rigidity of the law, Waltke affirms that repentance and mercy are powerful biblical themes, exemplified by King David's forgiveness despite his grievous sins. Ultimately, the atoning work of Christ offers redemption, signifying that divine grace transcends the temporal justice system. In essence, Waltke suggests that government is a divine institution designed to prevent crime and perpetuate a society built on moral foundations, as expounded by Nahum Sarna in relation to the aftermath of the Great Flood. The establishment of the state serves as a custodian of justice, aligning human governance with divine ordinance for upholding life and righteousness. In conclusion, Waltke approaches the flood narrative in Genesis as a complex exploration of human nature and divine attributes. To him, the story is more than a simple account of punishment. It addresses profound themes such as human arrogance, divine judgment, and the hope for renewal. He views the flood as God's response to human corruption setting the stage for a reformed world through the establishment of covenants that offer both protection and promise. Also, Waltke stresses the role of divine covenants in shaping the relationship between God and humanity. He discusses the conditional covenant of works, tied to Adam's obedience in Eden, contrasting it with the covenant of grace, which emerges in the post-Diluvian world with a focus on God's mercy through Christ. His interpretation considers the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants as part of this grace, extending blessings and redemption beyond human merit. Moreover, the progression of covenants throughout the Bible from the Noahic to the New reflects an unfolding divine plan. Each covenant, while marking a new epoch, consistently uplifts the elect as beneficiaries. Waltke asserts the importance of faith and individual righteousness within this narrative, exemplifying how one person's faithfulness, like Noah's, can invoke God's covenant loyalty. Furthermore, the concept of new creation is pivotal in Waltke's exposition, mirrored in the deliverance of Israel and the church's formation. Events like the Exodus and Pentecost echo the Genesis creation narrative, where divine intervention reshapes chaos into divine order. Jesus, referred to as the new Adam, epitomizes the fulfillment of humanity's intended purpose, ushering in a new era of God's kingdom. In addition, Waltke confronts the universality of sin illustrated through figures such as Adam, Noah, and Israel, and how it leads to division and conflict. However, redemption is found in Jesus, the antithesis of sin, who establishes his kingdom on earth.
the flood story is recast as an archetype for recreation, signaling both judgment and the promise of a rebirth. Further, his reflections on modern ethics and ecology urge responsible dominion over Earth's resources, aligning with a biblical imperative for environmental care. Furthermore, he navigates the complex issue of justice, advocating for a system that upholds both the sacredness of life and the necessity of proportional retribution, as exemplified by the death penalty for murder. In summary, Waltke's interpretation of the flood narrative reveals a rich tapestry of divine justice, human responsibility, and the hope for a restored relationship between God and the world through a series of covenants, culminating in the new covenant established by Jesus Christ.